You're listening to the Flow on Effect podcast, a podcast that is intended to educate women about pelvic floor and pregnancy-related conditions, presented by two physiotherapists, Charlotte and Heidi, who specialise in the area of pelvic floor and are based in Sydney's Sutherland Shire. Materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for individualised medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Hey guys, so welcome back to our podcast. Today, Charlotte is going to talk us through perineal tears and episiotomies, what we can do to prevent or minimize them and about recovery if they occur. So let's start off with telling us about what is the perineum and what causes it to tear. So the perineum is the area of skin which is between the vagina and the anus. So this typically tears in childbirth due to the increased stretch and pressure of the head coming through. So nine out of 10 first time mothers get some form of perineal tear during their first delivery. Um, It's just the nasty tears that we wanna try and prevent. So if we talk about the nasty versus not so nasty tears, what are the different degrees that women can get in terms of the tears? So there's four degrees of tearing. So a first degree tear is where it tears into the perineum skin. And this is normally quite small, only requiring a few stitches. A second degree tear tears into the perineum skin and then a little bit of the pelvic floor muscles. So these two are the most common with women. Um, Then when you start getting into the third and fourth degree tears, that's what we call like a nasty tear. So when we get into a third degree tear, it's where it tears into the perineum skin, a bit of the pelvic floor and into the anus. So this can be split up into three different degrees. So a 3A is where 50% of the external sphincter, or so around the rectum, is torn. And then a 3B is where more than 50% of that kind of external sphincter, which is like the pelvic floor muscle, is torn. And then a 3C tear is where the external sphincter and a bit of the internal sphincter is torn. And then a stage four, a fourth degree tear, is where it's torn pretty much all the way through completely. So we want to be avoiding anything in that kind of three and four. Yeah, because they affect obviously your bowels and that sort of function. Yeah, they're not nice. So who stitches these up? So what's the what's the process if someone gets a tear after birth? So normally if someone has a first or second degree tear, this is stitched up kind of in the delivery suite by the doctor or obstetrician that's on duty or the one that's looking after you. Um, a third and a fourth degree tear is a little bit more complicated. So they normally have to take the woman up to theatres and it's stitched up by a team of kind of colorectal specialists and gynecologists. So are there any thing, any risk factors that put women at higher risk of getting a tear? Yeah, there's lots of risk factors. So there's pretty much a big list from the Royal Australian College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. So they say that first time delivery is one of the biggest ones. Um, they say Asian ethnicity a VBAC delivery, so a vaginal birth after a cesarean, you have more risk of tearing. Another risk factor is a shortened perineal body length. So this is the measurement from pretty much the base of the vagina to the middle of the anus. 
if that number is really short, the likelihood is more to tear. Mm. A bigger baby, which they say bigger than four kilos, is a risk factor. Um, A posterior position of the baby. An instrumental delivery, so if they've had to use forceps, vacuum or anything kind of inserted into the vagina, is a risk factor. Prolonged second stage labour. So second stage labour is where you're physically pushing. Um, So they say anything greater than 60 minutes. Um, Epidural use, delivery in a deep squatting position, and then midline episiotomies. So that's just kind of their grouping of risk factors. Mm. So what is an episiotomy and how is that different to just getting a tear? So an episiotomy is where the doctor will actually make an incision um, into the perineum area. So normally they do this, which kind of goes off to the side rather than going down through the middle. Um, And they do this to prevent one of the nasty tears. So if they think that you're going to tear um, to a third or a fourth degree, they will give an episiotomy off to the side. Um, It also gives them more room if they need to have an instrumental delivery and how does that affect healing is that any different when they have an episiotomy versus having a tear um not really they're both kind of the same um from kind of women speaking in the clinic more often than not an episiotomy is kind of more painful because they kind of go a little bit deeper through um but normal normally it's kind of similar and can you have both a tear and an episiotomy Yes, so unfortunately this does happen. It's not as common, but you can kind of, they can give you an episiotomy off to one side and you can kind of tear on the other side or through the middle. Yeah. And is there anything else that can tear? So the, anything on the vulva can tear really. So anything kind of on the outside of the vagina. The labia is quite common. Um, So from that kind of pressure of the head coming through, like the edges of the labia can tear. So they would also kind of stitch that up after Mm. delivery. So what do you do in the early days postpartum if you are seeing someone who's had a tear or had an episiotomy? So normally in the early, early days, our biggest advice is for them to manage their bowels. So the last thing you want to do is be kind of constipated at that point because you would put a lot of strain and stress through the stitches Um, So we say doing that by increasing your water, eating a good diet, and if you need to, taking kind of stool softeners or laxatives to keep the stool soft so you don't have to push or strain. Mm -hmm. Another thing that we always recommend is supporting the stitches when you're opening your bowels. So wrapping up uh, your hand in a piece of toilet paper and every time your bowels are open, just kind of applying a little bit of pressure up on the stitches and this will just allow support when you're opening them. And is there anything in terms of pain relief for women who have got these scars um, and these stitches when they're initially first healing? So medication will be given in the hospital, um, but also ice. Ice can work really, really well to just kind of bring down that pain and inflammation. So we normally say 10 minutes on, 10 minutes off, and just freeze kind of a pad or have the ice packs that you've purchased in the freezer, just anything that's kind of cold on that area. Um, Also, keeping the area clean is really important for healing. 
and wearing comfortable maternity pads. So if you've got stitches in that area, having an uncomfortable pad will just irritate it so much. Mm. So finding one that's comfortable, I normally recommend the Tom's Organic brand. So personally, I've used them and they were one of the most comfortable I could find. Mm. And so does the management differ depending on if someone's had a first or second degree tear versus if they've had a third or a fourth degree tear? So normally, yes. So first and second degree tear, we're not as worried um, about kind of the rectal area. But when you have a third and fourth degree tear, the surgeons normally recommend for you not to be wiping with toilet paper. So they normally say that kind of take a spray bottle and dab so we're not irritating the area. So in those early days, that's kind of the biggest difference. Mm. And what's the follow-up care in terms of after they've had all their stitches and once the area is healing, what happens after that? So really, anyone that's had a vaginal birth or a cesarean should have physio follow-up regardless. But normally in hospitals, if you get a third and a fourth degree tear, that's an automatic referral to see a physio. So this is normally done at about six weeks once they've healed and kind of internal exams can be performed. And then normally with a third and fourth degree tear, there'll always be a follow-up endoanal ultrasound just to kind of check on how things have healed. So you mentioned that these women who have third and fourth degree tears, and even if they have first or second degree tears and they're having a physio follow-up, that that's normally around the six-week mark. Is that pretty standard? in terms of that time frame? Yeah, so generally that's our advice that we'd say come and see a physio at six weeks. But if a woman's having issues in that early postpartum period, then we definitely see them sooner and try and kind of get on top of it as quick as we can. And are there any long-term issues that women should be aware of if they have these tears and episiotomies? Yeah, so there are things that can occur. So pain is quite common along the scar due to kind of nerve sensitivity, scar tissue buildup. Pain with intercourse is also really common. So as the kind of the partner hits the area or the scar, then women can get pain and discomfort with that. And is there anything that can help with that sort of pain? So that entrance pain with sex or pain just generally around the area? Yeah. Other than that, yeah, in that initial couple of weeks where we're doing ice and all those sorts of things more kind of long term yeah so normally we teach women from about six weeks so once everything started to heal how to actually massage that area so applying kind of pressure along it just trying to kind of break up some scar tissue and desensitize the nerves ultrasound and tens machines can also work quite well and if the issue is kind of lack of estrogen then due to breastfeeding then an estrogen cream can also be really helpful in that area and what about third and fourth degree tears so exactly the same as above however because the anal sphincters are involved some women experience fecal urgency and incontinence so the ability to hold in wind or feces can become really difficult So the studies normally show that around one year follow-up, about 20 to 40% of these women still have fecal um, or wind incontinence, which is not everyone, but the number is still quite high for those kind of long-term effects. 
And so can some women, and I guess based on our clinical experience, we do see this sometimes, um, that women can come in and tell us that they've had a grade two tear, but then they're giving us symptoms that might suggest that they've got an undiagnosed third degree tear. What sort of symptoms might they be reporting that would make you think that even though they've told you they've only had a grade two tear, that they might actually have had a grade three? Yeah, so sometimes they would say they have kind of a second degree tear and then they're having those same issues that that I just spoke about so fecal incontinence or fecal urgency like if they need to open their bowels they have to get there within the next kind of Mm. couple of seconds or they they would be worried about having an accident or they would describe that wind just kind of coming out without their control when they're down in a squat so if someone was saying that to me the first thing that I would probably do would be to send them off for an endoanal ultrasound And that would just show if there was some damage to that kind of external sphincter or internal sphincter. And then we can have a baseline and go from there. So you just talked a little bit about the external um, sphincters. So how does the fecal urgency and incontinence actually happen? So we have two sphincters in the anus. So you have the internal sphincter and the external sphincter. So the internal sphincter controls 70% of our bowel control. And this, we can't control that. We don't have any kind of activation over that sphincter. And then our external sphincter, which is a part of our pelvic floor muscles, controls 30% of our control. So if a woman has had a tear to that external sphincter, that 30% of control is going to be less. Mm -hmm. So if the internal sphincter decides to open because there's stool in the rectum then a woman needs a really good control to stop that that poo essentially from coming out Mm -hmm. so that's why pelvic floor muscle training and trying to get that control back is crucial for women that have had third and fourth degree tears so so important so when should women start their pelvic floor exercises after birth so normally straight away normally we say after your first wee just start with really gentle contractions just trying to kind of get that connection back some surgeons have different protocols and they will tell women to wait a little bit longer so always go off the advice of what your surgeon's telling you but normally we would say get onto them straight away and do you use any different cueing if someone's got a third and fourth degree tear versus if they've got a one or a two in terms of cueing for their pelvic floor normally yeah, normally we always want to say kind of to be squeezing from that rectal kind of kind of rectum area. But the biggest cue for women with a third and fourth degree tear is I normally tell them to imagine they have the most expensive diamond in the world inside their anus and they don't want to let it drop out. And I say that's pretty much all I want you to think about when you're doing your pelvic floor. Yeah. And so does having a tear affect any future deliveries for women who are maybe on their first uh, birth? and they're thinking that they're not going to be able to have more kids because of a third or a fourth degree tear? So definitely with a first and second degree, no. Normally that's fine. And same with episiotomies. We do get them to try and massage that area prior to the birth if they've already had a tear. A third and a fourth degree tear, normally we don't like you to have another vaginal birth. Normally a caesarean is recommended. Mm -hmm. However, if it's something that a woman really wants to do, then their care team can kind of talk about options and work towards that. 
And so you talked about massaging the area before another birth. What sorts of, can you talk us through that massage and what other things we can do to try and prevent tearing and having to have an episiotomy? Yeah, so normally at about 36 weeks, we'll teach someone how to do perineal massage. So essentially, they're doing this for around five minutes a day in the lead up to birth, which is stretching the perineum area and the pelvic floor in kind of like a down and out position, just to prepare that area for some form of stretch prior to delivery so we recommend that every pregnant woman that is attempting a vaginal birth does this because there is good research in saying that it can minimize those nastier tears another thing that we love in the clinic is the epino device so this device actually stands for no episiotomy and it's a balloon that is inserted into the vagina and it's pumped up really really gradually so that a stretch on the perineum and the pelvic floor area is felt. So we do the same. We normally get women to do this from about 36 weeks um, every day and leave it in for around 20 minutes and then remove the device. When they put it in the next day, we like them to just pump it up a tiny little bit more so that over that time they're getting a consistent slow stretch on the perineum area. Yeah, they're super easy to use and really handy for women who actually can't kind of reach down there to be able to be doing it themselves. Exactly. The massage. Yeah. yeah, it's actually easier. And um, a lot of obstetricians have different opinions and patients come in and say, oh, my obstetrician said not to worry about it. Um, but our opinion is that why not? Like you kind of do everything you possibly can to try and prepare the area. Yeah. And if you still get a tear, you get a tear, but you've known that you've actually done all you can to prepare um another thing that is really good for preventing some tearing is having a really relaxed pelvic floor so we harp on about the pelvic floor needing to be really really strong which it does but it also needs to be able to relax completely so if your pelvic floor is able to relax the pushing stage of labor is going to be easier um another thing is using a wet kind of washer or heat compress during that second stage in labor so some midwives will actually put a warm compress on the perineum area in between each contraction and in between each time that you've tried to push if they don't do this it's a good tip to have your partner in there with you and he can actually do this or get somebody to do this in between because having a warm area the likely of it tearing is less yeah um we always get women to maintain mobile hips in pregnancy so if their hips are nice and mobile again that's going to make pushing a little bit easier and one of the risk factors is giving birth in a deep squat position so we normally recommend against that for the actual pushing stage all right well thank you charlotte that's been a very informative And if you guys have any questions about anything that we've spoken about today, just reach out to us on our social media channels and we'll be back again next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.